Welcome to another informative episode of Alberta Doctors Digest, brought to you by the Alberta Medical Association. You've tuned in to one of the many stories from our online publication at add.albertadoctors.org. We're the flagship source of information and opinion of the Alberta Medical Association, advancing patient-centered quality care by advocating for and supporting physician leadership and wellness. Let's get started. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Alberta Doctors Digest podcast brought to you by the Alberta Medical Association. As always, I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Marvin Polis. For this episode, I have Juliette Guichon. She is with me here in Calgary. First of all, Juliette, tell me about yourself. What do you do? I understand that you're associated with University of Calgary. I'm a native Calgarian and I earned a number of degrees at universities. The final degree I earned was a doctorate in law. And then um, I taught at the University of Brussels, and then I came home to Calgary and was placed in the the coming school of medicine. And there I teach uh, research ethics and disability law and ethics and law related to precision health. But in my spare time, I focus on trying to ensure that children and youth have no barriers to their access to preventive medicine. And in fact, that's what I want to talk to you about. I understand that you have some very significant passions in this space. You've done some advocacy work. So go ahead and tell me about that. The general issue is that children's interests are not directly represented in elected officials' decision-making. And so adult interests are sort of double-counted, whereas children's interests are not... There's nobody speaking on behalf of children who is an elected representative. And so I have tried to be the voice for children on issues related to the denial of access to preventive health care for children. Can you give us some examples? I've worked with, with many people to encourage school trustees to allow children in publicly funded schools to have easy access to the human papilloma virus vaccine, which they had banned on school property in 12 districts in two provinces and one territory. Why did they do that? Because the Roman Catholic bishops who advised them were concerned that a vaccine against a sexually transmitted virus might undermine the message of abstinence that was preached by the bishops. The problem with that thinking is that it does not take into account the fact that children are sometimes forced to engage in sexual activity through which they can contract the, the virus. People who are virgins at marriage can contract the the virus from their partners. And the the overriding concern is to prevent HPV-related cancers. And the best interests of the child require administering the vaccine insofar as it's possible prior to the the child contracting the virus. Juliet, I understand that you've been involved in the banning of menthol in tobacco products sold in Alberta. Can you tell me about that? Menthol is a very important flavor for the tobacco industry because it cools the throat and it opens the the avioli in the lungs to cause people to be addicted more rapidly to nicotine. And the Alberta government was willing to ban all flavors in tobacco products except menthol. But menthol was the key one to ban because children were becoming addicted to nicotine by use of menthol-flavored tobacco products. So a a group of undergraduate students and children who were in grade five or six at the time lobbied hard for the government to 
place first the interests of children and not the interests of the tobacco lobbyists. Well, that sounds like great work. And uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you about is reinstating community water fluoridization in Calgary. What was your involvement there? In 1989 and 1998, Calgary voters favored fluoridation in two plebiscites. In 2011, 10 city councillors voted fluoridation out without an electoral mandate against the will of the people as expressed in the two plebiscites and against medical advice. The consequence has been a dramatic increase in dental decay in children. Dental decay is the most common chronic disease of childhood, which can be reduced by approximately 25% with community water fluoridation. Calgary children have been de denied that, um, notwithstanding that they need it and public health recommends it. And so the work of Calgarians for Kids Health which I, I lead in Fluoride Yes, which I also lead, is to encourage Calgarians to demand that community water fluoridation be reinstated to help primarily children, but also seniors, uh, First Nations people, new Canadians, and disabled people. All of these groups benefit the most, but all of us benefit from community water fluoridation. Great. Now, Juliet, you've been involved in so many important issues. What drives you? What's your motivation? I'm a native Calgarian. And I went to a public school down by the Stampede Grounds, and my classmates had significant economic challenges. They taught me that I was lucky because I had two parents in my home, and I didn't worry about where my next meal was coming from. I feel and I was taught that if I'm one of the lucky ones, then I have a duty, a moral obligation to help some of the kids who, who weren't as lucky as I was. So how has that affected your career then? The driver to help people who are less fortunate guides what I do. It supersedes other obligations because I feel that we have to continue to build the best possible city and province and nation that we can, and all of us have to pitch in. And if something isn't going right, then we have to put our shoulder to the wheel and make sure it goes right. And it should go right, most importantly, for children. Children are the future of our city and province and, and nation. And we have to help them have the best possible health that we can give them so that they can do great things for Calgary, for Alberta, and for Canada. Juliet, that's probably a good point for us to uh, transition into the topic more specifically about the socioeconomic determinants of health. What have been some of your observations there over the years? Well, with respect to the HPV vaccine, there was a study that showed that whereas Children in public schools who had easy access to the vaccine in school had a 70% uptake of the vaccine, which is to say that the children, 70% of the children received a cancer-preventing vaccine in school. But children in the Catholic schools, which are publicly funded, were denied access in school, and only 19% received the vaccine. So when you think about that 19%, those are children almost certainly of high socioeconomic status. Their parents knew to call the baby clinic three times, take the child there three times for a three-dose vaccine. So socioeconomic status was obviously a, ma um, a factor in, in who received a cancer-preventing vaccine. And that shouldn't be the case. All children should have easy access to a cancer-preventing vaccine. And what about things like nicotine and smoking and, and vaping and even fluoridization? I think it's, it's well understood that children who have stress, whether it's because they are, are not heteronormative in their sexual orientation, or they come from uh, an environment where there might be abuse or lack of attention to the child, 
find that nicotine uh, reduces stress for them. It has that effect on them. So those are people who we ought to especially look out for, especially care for, because they already have challenges. And that's why it's important to make it very difficult for those young people to become addicted to nicotine. So nicotine addiction is something governments should work really hard to prevent. Great thoughts. You know, I, I like to talk about solutions as well. And I know there are no magic bullets, but from your experience, what are some of the solutions for the socioeconomic challenges that we have in healthcare? We have to acknowledge that there are problems and work together. And adult interests should not dominate. And they do. For some reason, elected officials think that an adult interest should count. It's what adult, adults want rather than what children need should count the most. And I'd like to invert that so that what children need is the dominant factor in the minds of elected officials when they make decisions about preventive health care for children. Great. Well, Juliet, you've been so generous with your time, so generous with your thoughts. Thanks again for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Alberta Doctors Digest, brought to you by the Alberta Medical Association. This has been just one of the many stories from the current issue of our online publication. You can read the entire publication at add.albertadoctors.org. See you next time.